0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. I am Jean Chatsky and welcome welcome to our or should I say your new podcast. We decided to call it Her Money because we want to do this show especially for women. We took a look at the landscape and we noticed there just isn't very much podcast content out there for women by women especially when it comes to the subject of money. And we want to do something to change that. My feeling is that if I do my job here, if we do our jobs here, then maybe we can help you change your financial future, get on the right track. That's the goal. So we have planned some great need-to-know topics. We've got Awesome guests. We'll take questions. We'll always give you sound, actionable advice to help you thrive in this and every market, as well as in life. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our show at iTunes. It is her money, and her money is one word with Jean Chatsky. You know. Sometimes, many times, it is just hard to talk with your family and your friends about money. So this is your safe space. Let's talk about it here. And today, I am happy to talk about it, and I don't mean that ironically, with Gretchen Rubin.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be talking to you today.
1: I wish they could see your hair. Your hair looks great.
2: Oh, I just got it cut yesterday. It looks really, really pretty. (laughs) This is the professional touch. Yeah,
1: well, it looks great, very springy. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's fun to be here. It's really great to have you here. And, you know, one of the things that made me so excited to bring you into this show is that your area of expertise is one that there's a lot of conflict when it comes to money. I mean, people talk about it all the time. Can money actually buy you happiness? Can't money buy you happiness? Where, where do you fall on that? That question.
2: Well, you're absolutely right, because I think the the relationship between money and happiness is one of the most emotionally charged kind of subtopics within the larger uh, subject of happiness. And my own view is that, no, money cannot buy you happiness, but money can buy you a lot of things that will contribute mightily to happiness. Um, And one of the most important things is The freedom not to have to worry about money, you know, being free from anxiety about money is a a tremendous luxury. But it depends on how you spend your money, you know, because you could buy a dog or you could buy cocaine and you could, you know, take a a wonderful vacation camping or you could go gambling and lose a fortune. So it's how you spend your money, how that reflects your values and whether you're making choices that are uh, supporting a happy life. But I think money definitely has a very important role to play.
1: I, one of the studies that I, I read in the last couple of months said if you were going to buy one thing that would make you happier, it would be a dog. Like I, it would just it would be that that bundle uh, of energy that would greet you at the door every day when you get home, and having having had a dog most of my life. I totally agree with that.
2: Yeah. No, we just recently got a dog. And um, and I went through a long agonizing period uh, of debating about whether to get a dog or not. And I don't think it's for everyone because it is a lot of work. It um, is. And it's, it is a lot of money. Um, be, but it is a, it's a wonderful relationship. You know, if they say if there's, if there's one thing that contributes to a happy life, if you had to pick one thing, it's relationships. You know, in the end, we really need to have strong Uh, Relationships and a relationship with a dog is a is a very special kind of relationship. Um, It's a kind of companionship that's very different from human companionship, but very real. And um, and it's just fun. It's like for us, it's like a family adventure. It gives us we you know we're constantly texting each other photos, and it is it. But it was a very in terms of happiness bang for the buck, we sure got our money's worth.
1: When when uh, when you talk about relationships being the key to happiness, I mean, again, money throws a monkey wrench in there yes. because money can really foul up your relationships if you're not managing it properly within your family unit.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that this is where the complexity of money becomes – difficult. Because if you're just making a decision for yourself, like, well, should I spend my money to go to my college reunion or not? Like, which is going to make me happier? Well, that's pretty easy to see. Yeah, go for your college reunion. It'll probably make you happier. But when you start getting into, like, should I lend my sister money or, you know, things like how are we going to handle this, you know, summer home that everybody has a different idea about what to do with it now, then you start to get into really difficult areas of human relationships.
1: So one of the things that I really love about the new book mm. is that it's focused on habits. Yes. And I know from research that I've done in the past that if you can form better habits around your money, that will
2: make you happier. So yes. how
1: did you head down this path?
2: Um because you're, you're absolutely right that, that there's this strong connection between habits and happiness. And I, I was writing for years and talking to people about happiness, and I began to notice a pattern, which was whenever people would talk about a big happiness challenge, they very often would point to something that was really a problem with a habit. Like someone would say, well, my problem is I'm exhausted all the time, and that's about the habit of getting enough sleep. Or someone would say, like, I've, I'm constantly running short of money. I'm really anxious about it. Well, that's about the habit of sticking to a budget. And And so I became really drawn to the... Just the question of how can we use habits to make our lives happier, healthier, and more productive? Um, because I think used properly, they really can be a very, very powerful tool to achieve anything it is that we're trying to aim for.
1: And yet it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Ugh. I mean, you, you say it very clearly. You say we're not very different from other people, but those differences are very important. So
0: yeah.
1: how do you how do you fit or find... The habits that fit you?
2: Well, that is the key question because I think the problem is that people keep thinking that there's a magic answer, and if it works for you, Gene, then it should work for me. Or I read this thing that's very persuasive about how I should get up early and do everything first thing in the morning. And it, and it just doesn't work like that. You really have to think about what works for you. And here's a perfect example in money, and I wonder if you've noticed this because I know you've been talking to people about money forever. So one of the things is monitoring, the strategy of monitoring. Of the 21 strategies of habit change, the strategy of monitoring is super powerful. And what I found is that there's this kind of difference in how people feel monitored about money. For some people, cash is so powerful. When they feel a dollar bill going out of their hand, they feel it. And you know, and this is why if you go to a casino, they use chips instead of real money, or like why it's easy to overspend in a foreign country, because it's like monopoly money. It doesn't feel real. And so using and so some people say to me, well I get rid of credit cards because if I'm using cash, I feel that pain other people, it's just the opposite. They say, for me, credit card, like I get that statement. They're like, if I'm spending cash, I don't know where my money went. But if I get a credit card bill, man, I know every dollar and I like review it in my mind. And I'm like, man, that was dumb. And so for them, (laughs) using credit cards is a better way to monitor. So it's just like, don't like if somebody's like, cut up your credit cards, not necessarily, because for you, that might be the more pain, you know, the more kind of realistic way to monitor it. You really have to say, well, what kind of person am I? What works? for me. It's
1: so interesting. I mean, if you look at at the study of this and and the credit card versus debit card versus cash thing has been extensively studied. And we know that because a dollar bill feels more real, we are less likely to spend it than we are to just slide the credit card or slide the debit card. So if you're trying to get yourself on a budget and you haven't been very good at it before, That's why the cash system works for people. And I always remember— But not for everybody. But not—yeah, but not for everybody. Yes,
2: because for some people, it's like—and that's the thing that I think is important, is that it's really helpful to think about what strategies people use. And then you can say, like, well, but does that—maybe that works for most people, but am I—do I need to find a different way for myself to kind of get to the same place in the way that's right for me?
1: Yeah, Yeah, and I monitor by going – I don't balance my checkbook anymore, and some people are shocked when they hear me say that because that's like a a grievous sin, right, if you're a financial person. But I I don't. I haven't for years. What I do is sign on to my bank pretty much every day Uh, and look at the money. Yeah, And and it it lets me see not only where I am, but – you know, if there are any surprises kicking in, it's also, you know, if, if God forbid there was some identity yeah, theft thing sure. going on, I would notice it.
2: But and then also, you know, that feeling of like if you're standing there in the middle of a store, you know that tomorrow you're going to be immediately faced with the fact that you made that, you know, that, it's, yeah. that there's that accountability to yourself that you can't just slide it by. Um, I had a friend who was kind of, she just, she was spent too much money. So she worked, she worked <laughs> at worked Let's just it. put it, yeah, up. Yeah, 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 she yeah. just spent too much yeah. money. So she made a deal with her brother that she, if she spent more than $100, she had to tell him. She had to let him know. And it wasn't that she was asking for his permission. It's just like, just text me and say, hey, I'm going to spend, you know, $110 on XYZ. And she said, just knowing that her brother was like, oh, man, yeah. Gosh, look at she, you know. Um, That helped her. It's just that moment of like, no. Accountability. Accountability. It's great. And it's also,
1: it's an effective strategy for spouses, where it's so important to give yourselves a little bit of financial freedom, even if you've merged all the money in your relationship. And so drawing that line in the sand, hey, we don't need to talk about this unless we're spending more than 250 or 100 or whatever works for your
2: financial life. Oh, but this touches on something I think is really helpful with habits. And this is pay very special attention to anything you want to hide. So if you want to hide something, like if you made a purchase and you feel like you want to put that bag in the closet, or if you want to quickly change your computer screen when somebody walks into the room, or you don't want to admit like how much wine you had to drink, you know, you're hiding a bottle, yep. it's a really important clue. Because sometimes we haven't consciously acknowledged to ourselves that we feel some kind of anxiety or guilt or remorse about something we've done. But when you catch yourself hiding it, that's a big flashing signal that something is afoot.
1: And then how do you – okay, so if your impulse is to hide this, and yeah. I, I can't tell you I, – I mean, I know so many people who pay for half a purchase with a credit card and half with cash they've <sighs> pulled out of yes. the ATM to hide Perfect. from their spouse the fact that they spent double what it's going to look like on the credit card bill – so if you know that you've got this nagging voice in the back of your head, hey, I just spent too much money on this, how do you get yourself to deal with it?
2: Well, that's the big question. Um, you know, and I think part of it is that you have to get into a place where you want to deal with it. I mean, because that's the thing. There's so many strategies to work on your habits. You know, I found 21, and which is great because some work better for some people than other people. Some don't work At all times, they're only available to us at certain times. So there's a ton of stuff that you can do, but you have to get into that. You have to decide, I want to deal with this. And I think for a lot of people, it is just consciously acknowledging, you know what's going on is I'm hiding from my spouse how much I'm spending on sports paraphernalia, Mm -hmm. you know? And when you really allow that to consciously come into your mind, and then you're like, so what am I going to do with it? how am I going to fix it? I either need to stop spending, I need to tell my spouse, or I need to acknowledge that I am have this hidden... And, and I think just by facing it a lot of times, it forces a change in one way or another.
1: And knowing that once you face it, you will feel better. Yes,
2: yes. That there is relief on the other side one way or the other. Yeah.
1: So you have put together a happiness manifesto. Yeah. And a lot of the... Principles that you outline in this manifesto. They have some terrific financial parallels. So I've pulled a few of them, but before we go through them, I just want to tell everybody that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity is focused on helping women just like us take charge of our financial lives. It's so important to learn about money, not just for you, but for the other women in your life, for your moms and your sisters and your daughters and your friends. So Visit Fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find the Thrive workshop, which gives you three simple ways to put your money into action. There's also information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and step-by-step guidance about putting together a financial plan. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time. So back to your happiness <laughs> manifesto. We're with Gretchen Rubin and you know I thought it was really interesting the the principle that what we do every day matters more than what we do once in a while because it reminds me so much of the coffee example, mm. if you're if you're a financial expert, right? I can't tell you the number of times I've been on TV adding up the amount of money that people spend on coffee because they spend it every single day, and it it's routinely. I mean, you you got to watch the prices go up in the coffee bars, yeah. but it's like seventeen hundred dollars a year. It's wow. it's insane if you buy it every day. <laughs>
2: it's like it's like when Carrie Bradshaw realized that she'd spent a whole down payment yes. on an apartment on shoes because she did it just. Week by week by week, right. she just spent the money. Yeah. yeah,
1: and she had 100 pairs. I yes. mean, I use this clip in some of my talks because it's <laughs> so good. But um, they, she has 100 pairs of
2: $400 shoes, yeah. and boom, that's forty grand. Yes, it really it does. You don't realize how quickly it can add up.
1: So how do you become conscious of what you do every
2: day? Well, one of the most important ways we were talking about before, which is monitoring. So of all the strategies... Strategy of monitoring is super important because even – and I'm sure you've seen this with people keeping budgets – that there's something about just knowing what we're doing that even people who are not deliberately trying to change often start to move in a positive direction just naturally. Because once you really see what you're doing, it's much easier to get a handle on why you don't want to be doing it. And so if you just start keeping track of how much money that is – It's keeping the food diary. It's keeping the food diary. It's using the Fitbit. It's, you know, it's... Anytime that you know what you're doing, you tend to do a better job. Um, and I remember my father, um, who smoked way, way back in the day, he said he used this to quit smoking. He would figure out how much money was he spending on cigarettes each week, each month. Then he would think, like, okay, if I put this money and in, I invested it and I got a 4% return, how much money would it be? And so he used the idea of, like, the money that was represented by those cigarettes. That really helped him maintain his desire to um, to stick to it. And the same thing, like, with the coffee, if you're like, wow— I'm like paying for a trip
1: to Europe. Right. And it doesn't have to be the coffee. I mean, we're both sitting here with cups of coffee. And the reason that we're sitting here with cups, I I am not giving up my coffee. I'm just, I'm I'm going to buy it when I want it, but I will give up other things.
2: Right. Well, and then some people make the argument that, you don't want to nickel and dime yourself because then you constantly feel, and I, this is something that comes up, I can have it all the time. We never want to allow ourselves to fall into a feeling of deprivation because when you feel deprived, you start thinking, well, I deserve this other thing. I need this other thing. After the day I've had, I, I have to have that glass of wine. So you don't want to feel deprived. And if every single day, like you say, if every single day you walk by the coffee shop and you're like, here I am not having my coffee, and then and then you go out and buy a new pair of shoes, which is very much how people behave, though that's not rational, Um, That's not good. But what you might do is say like, well, I'm going to treat myself in this other way or, you know, who cares about a cup of coffee? I'll just make that at home. But I'm going to get myself a treat, you know, because I'm going to put this money aside for something that I really want in a special way. It's not going to be just an ordinary part of my day, but it's going to be something more special. And that's a conscious trade-off that you're making. Because we're grown-ups. We can do what we want. Yeah. But we have to know what we're doing and what we're choosing.
1: And and, and choosing something that you're saving for yes. is really, really helpful. You you say in your manifesto, make it easy to do right and hard to go wrong, which reminds me of why we tell people to automate their savings.
2: A hundred percent. Oh my gosh, that is the most important thing. Anything, anything it is like that is there are very few universals in habits, it turns out, but one of them is If it's easier to do it, we will do it. If it's harder to do it, we're less likely to do it. So you just want to apply that to every single thing throughout your day. And yes, something like savings, it should not even be registering consciously. Like that should just be happening so far in the background. You know, that's like the deep, deep, deep mechanics of your life. You don't want to have, yeah, that's the first thing to do. Focus on actions,
1: not outcomes. So when it comes to your money, and we're trying to save for that thing in the future, how, how do we put this one to work? Well, so,
2: you know, I think sometimes when people want to, like, get themselves fired up, they think really hard about what they want, you know, it's going to be so great to have a bikini body. It's going to be, I'm going to write a best-selling novel. I'm going to pay my, my all for my kids' entire college. We're going to go on a fantastic trip to Europe, whatever. But you can't make that happen. We can't control the outcome. We don't know what's going to happen, but we can control what we do every day. And so you could say, okay, what am I going to do every day to save? What am I going to do every day to eat more healthfully? And really focus on, well, what are the actions that I can control? Because really the dream of where it's all leading isn't very – it doesn't help you – behave differently today? Because then also you're like, oh, yeah, I'm totally committed to saving for that trip, but today doesn't matter. You know, we're like, oh, I'm just going to get through this Christmas. You know, then there's just a million ways that you can argue with yourself about why you should get off the hook. But when you focus on, like, well, what am I doing right now that's serving me? Then I feel like it becomes much more concrete and much more like, am I or am I not doing this very simple thing today?
1: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I, I think it sort of ties into... You have a, a strategy in the book to put it on the calendar. That yes. if it's on the calendar, yes. it'll actually happen. And I find this happens for me with exercise. Yes. I, I put exercise on my calendar as if it were a meeting. Yes. Which means I won't schedule around it, but it actually gets done.
2: no, I think that's super powerful is the, is just to put it on the calendar. And actually, a lot of I've heard from a lot of people that they do this with their finances, where they're like, they'll say, like, well, I've been postponing it for so long because it seems like something that you should always do, but it's never particularly urgent that it happens like in the next two weeks. And so they'll say, like, well, I'll make an appointment two months away with my financial advisor or whatever because I know then I'm going to have to deal with it at that certain time where somebody said, you know, I wasn't dealing with my my will. And so I signed up for like a short course at the community college and trust and estates because I'm like, well, if I'm going to take the class, then I've got to deal with it. You know, You put something on the calendar to represent the fact that this is going to get done, you know, rather than just having this loose idea that you need to deal with it.
1: So when we talk about changing habits and adopting new habits, it's not super easy, right? How do you... I've heard a lot of different things that you should only do one at a time mm. because we only have so much willpower mm. or that it takes 21 days. Mm. What's, what's the bottom line on this?
2: <laughs> well, alas, the 21-day thing is not true. So that one, just cross that off your Does list. Does it
1: take longer than 21 days? Well, see, this
2: is the thing. It ta- I mean, <laughs> you know, we all know from experience it takes longer and shorter. If you have a donut on your way to work three times, I tell you what, that fourth day, you will find that you have formed a very, very solid habit in four days. And some habits, you know, they never really quite solidify. They need a lot of kind of love and care um, to keep them going. And so there really isn't a particular just like template that you can follow that will naturally do it. But the thing that's surprising to me is sometimes it is hard to form habits, but then sometimes it's surprisingly easy. For instance, one of the most powerful easy times to change a habit is using the strategy, of the clean slate. And we can't always use this. But if you go through a major transition, like a new job or uh, a new relationship, or even best of all, a move, all your old habits are wiped away. And so your new habits can form very concretely. So let's say you have a new job and you're sort of like, well, one of my aims is I'd really like to start bringing in lunch from home because it'd be healthier and I'd save money. Well, the first week on that new job, you bring in your lunch every single day because you're not going to have a habit of doing something else. You're not going to have like, ooh, but there's that salad that I love from the place across the street because you're in a totally different part of town. You don't know where you are. Ooh, oh, I know the place that has the best, you know, cinnamon buns. Well, you don't know where that place is. But if you bring it in, then that's just part of your ordinary day.
1: Well, and you're that person who brings their
2: lunch to everybody else
1: around you. So, you know, the other people who bring their lunch are going to gravitate to you. Yes.
2: Yeah. and so, But you want to start right away because, you know, so often, and everybody sees this from just life, the way we start is often the way that we continue. So if you're going through a major transition, you want to embrace that and say, like, wow, I have a really great opportunity now. What's my ideal? How do I want this to look in six months? And let me start out that way, because that you'll find it much easier to form that new habit, because it's not fighting against any existing habit that's been put into place already.
1: I mean, my very favorite habit from your first book ah. is making the bed. Ah. And my mother was a big proponent of making the bed which I fought her on as a teenager <laughs> but once I had my own space I can't think in a room where the bed is not made. Yes. You know it's just it's too discombobulated and yeah. and so you know since then I I make the bed for me. Yes. And my husband doesn't make the bed right. I make the bed better. You uh, know sometimes <laughs> he's very particular about the making
2: of the bed right.
1: but I think there are just some habits that will work for us and some that won't.
2: Absolutely. It's fascinating how, like and, and, and you said something like, should we just have one a day? Well, and that's something that you often hear in habit, you know, like start small. You want to build up these accomplishments. And like maybe if you want to start writing every day, you're going to write one sentence every day or you do one yoga pose or, um, or don't work on multiple habits at one time because you'll overload your system. But you know what? That works great for some people. And then other people, they get bored. It doesn't seem worth it. Like, what am I going to do? Like, why, what's the point of this? They're not excited by the prospect of a tiny change. They need a big radical change. That excites them. That's much more effective for them when they're trying to change their habits. So again, it just comes back to this idea. There is no magic one-size-fits-all solution. Whenever anybody is saying, you should be able to, you should be able to give up sugar. You should be able to get up earlier and go for a run if it's important to you. You should, you know, it's always a sign like, hmm. If I'm not able to, maybe something else would work for me better, you know, and uh, and so it's really this idea of of working with yourself, because I think one of the reasons that habits can be so challenging is we've set them up in a way that's not right for us. And then we struggle. But if we just set it up in a slightly different way, we might have found it much, much easier.
1: What's the financial habit that works best for you?
2: Well, see, I have a problem that I thought was unusual, but I have found out since I've written about it that it turns out that there's a lot of us, which is I'm an underbuyer. And underbuyers are people and it doesn't really have to do with frugality and it doesn't really have to do with simplicity loving. It's just this desire this real dislike of going and buying things. And it sounds like, oh, well, that's good. But um it's actually a huge pain because there's a lot of times where it's very you're much more inconvenienced or you have to do more errands because you run out of things or you don't have the things that you need. Like I remember when I was writing uh I think I was writing Happier at home and I used the example of Kleenex because like to me that's like an overly specific item that I don't like I'm like, why do you use Kleenex? And she, the, the editor was like This seems like a really weird example. And I'm like, well, what can I say? Like, I don't believe in things like Kleenex. I mean, now I do. Like, I've come to it as a parent, but... I was just, blow your nose on some toilet paper. Why right. do we need a special <laughs> product for this? Or, you know, I don't believe in hair conditioner or, like, you know, suit bags. I'm like, just,
1: can't you just... Put a garment bag from the dry cleaner? Yeah, yeah. In, yeah, I
2: mean, whatever. Yeah, like, highly specialized things like that. Or, like, I hate, or when I was, uh, you know, now I'm in New York, I never drive, but I remember when I was in high school and I was driving, I would put, like, the minimum amount of gas in the car at a time, which meant I had to go to the gas station more often, but it was like, I just hated the idea of filling the gas tank or or, like... It's really hard for me to do something like buy three tubes of toothpaste because I'm like, I just want to buy one. I don't want to. I don't want to have all this toothpaste around. And it sounds ridiculous, but it's actually something. Or you know, and when you're a parent, it's like, I always want to wait for the last possible moment because hey, who knows? Maybe we'll have a really warm winter and no one will need any mittens. So let's wait till the last possible minute. <laughs> and then your kids are like, their hands are frostbitten, and you're like, oh, none of the stores have mittens because they've all switched over to spring because it's yeah January. So actually, for me, I have to really have the habit of spending. I have to say, this is a needful thing. I need to buy it. I'm not going to say, "Oh, I'll come back and buy it. I need to buy it now because I need it now. Or I'm going to buy more than I need because I know, hey, paper towels, you're going to need more. Right. Like, I'm just telling you You now. just
1: can't have too many. Yeah, you
2: can't. And, um, and so that's – I've really had to work on habits about overcoming my desire to just not deal with that stuff.
1: I, I, think I need to drink a little bit of that Kool-Aid, I think. Oh. Just a little.
2: Well, it's funny because people are either overbuyers or under – like, you know, there's some people in the middle, but people sort of are leaned towards one or the other. And overbuyers, it's like they do too many errands, they spend too much, like stuff, they end up not needing it because they buy it kind of anticipatorily. I used to not like a trip
1: to the warehouse store. Like, it would just bother me. And I I still don't like the big – Things of food.
2: Oh, that's my husband hates. I hate like a giant jar of yeah, giant jar mayonnaise. Like, just turns my husband's stomach.
1: but I will go and buy a year's worth of paper towels Uh or or ziploc bags or dishwasher tabs. So I, I I do have a little storehouse of those in my basement, just in case we have an apocalypse. Right, right.
2: Well, it's funny because. I don't like the idea of stores very much. Like, you know, kind of the Lori Engels Wilder, we've got an attic full of food. It kind of appeals to me intellectually, but then when I'm actually in a store, I'm like, I just want to buy one box. And it, but it doesn't make any sense. It's like for a lot of- Because you're busy. Yeah, it's like, why, why are you creating errands? And then you have to remember, and it's all whole thing. It's odd. And, and, I, and I was so comforted to realize that I'm not the only one because I thought really this was just like my own weird, idiosyncratic, bizarre thing. But there's a lot of people who just – we kind of need to remind ourselves that we need to buy needful things. And that if it's something that we legitimately need and want, we should just go ahead and do just it. Just go ahead and do yeah. it and
1: get it, yeah. get it out of the way. Okay, so two more questions. We have a little Proust questionnaire. It's Ooh. not really the Proust oh. questionnaire, but it's my yes. Proust questionnaire that we, we, um, we are putting to everyone. Power, fame, love, or money. Oh. Rank
2: order them. Well, you know, I wrote a book called Power, Money, Fame, Sex. I did not so, know that. Yes, that was my first book. <laughs> so I ranked them there. Um, but you've you changed a couple of the terms. So tell me. So it's power, power, fame,
1: love, money,
2: love, money, for like a happy life. Sure. Uh, I would say love, money power fame. But one of the things that I learned in my book is that, well, not love so much, but the other ones can all be translated into, you know, power becomes money, money, money becomes power, fame becomes power, fame becomes money. But love, love, love reigns supreme. It's the ultimate, and you can't trade the other ones in for love. Okay, awesome. And any podcasting advice for me? Um... Well, this is my advice for everything related to writing in any way or communication, or, which is always have something to say. I think sometimes when, it's, when it gets hard, it's because you really don't have something that you're excited about saying. And once you have something to say, everything gets easier.
1: I think that's great advice. Gretchen Ruben, <laughs> thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. It was
2: fun for me, too.
1: And we look forward to having you back again. Great. And now we're gonna go right to your questions. We always wanna hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter, on Facebook, and at genechatsky.com. Kelly Helfgren, our associate producer. She's with me in the studio. Hi, Kel.
0: Hey, Jean. How are you? I'm good. So what do we have this week? Our first question comes in from Christy. She wrote us at jeanchatsky.com. I have recently come into money that will wipe out my debt. Woohoo. Yes. My question <laughs> is, how best to pay off my bills to best affect my credit score?
1: Okay, so there are a couple of things to consider here, and credit score is an important one of them, but it's just one of two. When you look at your credit score, one of the big factors in that score is what's called utilization. It's the percentage of credit that you have available to you that you're actually using. And you're best off if your utilization on each individual credit card, as well as on all of your credit cards together is below 30%. So I'd say take a look at your cards and see if you've been overusing any of them and then take the biggest chunk of money and use it to repay those debts. The other thing, though, to consider is the interest rate, because credit score is important, no question, but you also have to look at how much debts are costing you. And the higher the interest rate on any debt, the more that you're paying. The, the return on your money for paying off a debt is actually equal to the interest rate. So if you've got a credit card at 24% and another one at 12%, you want to whale on that 24% credit card because it's just going to save you so much money. So take both of those things into
0: consideration, Christy, but wait. Way to go. Way to go. And will she see her score improve faster if she were to pay off all debt in one payment or make multiple payments over time. Does that affect the it score shouldn't. whatsoever?
1: No, it really, you know, it, I mean, I would take the sum of money and just put it to use because, again, it's going to save her money in interest. Right. It, it should pop her score fairly quickly. Credit scores don't move overnight, but they don't move really, really slowly either. So within a couple of months, she should see a big improvement.
0: Excellent. Thank you. And our next question is coming in from Twitter. At Tim Farina is wondering, what financial advice would you give a couple about to get married? What are the pros and cons of merging finances, which we just discussed with Gretchen Rubin? Again, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution.
1: In my marriage, and I'll just open it up here, we have – Yours, mine, and ours accounts. I have an account, my husband has an account, and we have an account for the household. And we also have a credit card that's a joint credit card that I insisted that we get because I just didn't like going out to dinner and having to, is it my turn to pay or your turn to pay? It was just unromantic in my frame of mind. I like the yours, mine, and ours accounts because it gives people the ability to. Have some financial autonomy. You don't want to be asking your spouse every time you make a purchase because that sort of permission asking starts to feel very parental, and that's not a good thing for a love match. So, you want to make sure you respect that at the same time that you're achieving your household spending goals and your household savings goals. So, if you are going to go with this approach, you want to fund the joint account with enough to pay the household bills, but also also, to save together for whatever you've decided that you're saving for.
0: And I just wrapped up reporting for you on cohabitation Yep, and that couples are, there's a trend we're seeing that more couples are cohabitating before marriage. Uh-huh. And I've been interviewing financial planners and divorce lawyers, Yeah, and I can't get a straight answer on whether or not merging finances is a big no if they don't have the protection of a marriage license. So
1: I would say it's a big no, and it's a big no To do it for a couple of reasons. So if both of your names are on an account, one of you can pull all the money out of the Mm. account, and you don't have the protection of a marriage license, which stipulates how the assets and the debts are to be divided in the future. So I would say I I wouldn't merge money with somebody I wasn't married to, and I wouldn't get a joint credit card with somebody that I wasn't married to either.
0: Great. Thank That's you. my bottom. line. I wanted to hear it. OK. Our final question comes from Jenny. She reached out to us on Facebook. She writes, my husband and I are expecting our first child at the end of May. We have a six month emergency cushion for her maternity leave. He wants to pay off three thousand dollars he has in credit card debt with their tax return before the baby comes. Is this the right thing for them to do? Well, first of all, congratulations. That's really exciting, a new baby.
1: But I would say, yeah, clear the decks. Get rid of that credit card debt. We just talked with with Gretchen about how moving into a new phase of life gives you the opportunity to build better habits. So get rid of the credit card debt and start this
0: new phase of life while trying not to accrue more credit card debt. Excellent. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for your questions. We are available at Twitter and we have a hashtag now. It's Her Money Podcast. Hashtag Her Money Podcast. We're also available on Facebook and at jeanchatsky.com. Thanks, Kelly thanks
1: for those great questions. Remember, we want to answer whatever is on your mind. So reach out to us on Twitter, on Facebook, and at jeanchatsky.com. And now it's time for our weekly Thrive segment where we dive into the world of money news to find headlines and research that you can actually use. And today we are talking about how spending can affect your health. We've been talking about spending all show. We talked about it with Gretchen Rubin. And for years, we known, spending money on other people or giving back in other ways like volunteering, it is a big boost to your happiness. But we haven't seen so much about its impact on your physical health until now. A new article in the journal Health Psychology, which comes from the American Psychological Association, says that spending money on other people could be as good for you as a beta blocker. Yes, a beta blocker or starting to exercise, and the results seem to be long-lasting. According to the study, the more money spent on other people, the lower the blood pressure of the subjects in the study two years down the road. So how do you put this to use in your own life? First, keep your circle of generosity tight. What I mean by that is focus on the people who really matter to you. Your heart seems to be the happiest and the healthiest when the people that you're giving to consist of family and close friends. Second, don't give beyond your means. If you don't stay within your budget, the result is going to be financial stress, which, by the way, has the opposite effect on your health and your happiness, and factor future gifts into your budget. Gifts are really interesting from a budgeting perspective. They don't happen all the time, and so we give ourselves permission to think about them as exceptions, and we often go overboard. You're better off just looking at how much you've spent on gifts in the past and count on spending at least that much going forward. Okay, so if we wrap it all together, spending money on others is good for your health. But to get the biggest benefit, stick to your family and close friends. Keep it budget-friendly by staying within your means and factor future gifts into your spending plans. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Gretchen Rubin for a terrific conversation. I hope that we made you a little bit happier. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at iTunes. And again, let me just remind you, it is Her Money, and Her Money is one word, with Gene Chatsky. I know we're just starting, but leave us a review. We would like to hear from you. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And join us next week when we'll be talking with Phoebe Judge and Lauren Sporer, hosts of the amazing podcast, Criminal. And we'll always have a great way for you to thrive. Thanks for listening and tune in then.